Hello, I'm Joe Devine from the TIFO Football Podcast, and I'm here today to introduce Adam Leventhal on the Athletics Premier League Countdown Podcast. Adam has been celebrating the return of the 2019-20 season, which is only days away, by releasing 20 podcasts on the Ornstein and Chapman feed, each one dedicated to a different Premier League team. That's two podcasts a day, every day, up until football returns. Today's episode is Watford, and Adam is switching role from host to interviewee. We've already released shows for all the previous teams, so you can catch up with those on this podcast feed or ad-free via the Athletic app. If you're not already a subscriber, you can sign up right now and get 40% off an annual subscription by going to theathletic.com forward slash TIFO to enjoy the best football writing anywhere. Adam, of course, also participates on From the Rookery End, the Athletic's Watford-specific podcast, which has been running episodes all season and throughout lockdown. So make sure you check that out and listen back to some recent special episodes. So, without further ado, here's the fantastic Adam Leventhal. Adam Leventhal, welcome to your own podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. I'm, I'm sort of slightly trepidatious because being an interviewee rather than the interviewer is, is a little bit more challenging. But uh, if you can go easy on me, then I, I'd be very grateful because it has been quite an arduous journey getting through all these all these podcasts. <laughs> well, I'm glad this is come, this comes right at the end. So in a way, you know, it's a, it's, it's a bit like your swan song. Um, so let's yeah. start with an easy one uh, with that in mind. You went to a game of football at the weekend. Mm. What on earth was that like? It was... Um, Sort of partly soul destroying, but also quite um, heartening. If that, if, that, if those two things can exist in the in the same way, um, in terms of simple logistics, it was very very um, straightforward. There weren't any sort of crowds to get through. Uh, there wasn't more traffic around Vicarage Road. Um, it was obviously you know a stark reminder of the the situation that we've been in. Um, being so close to Watford General Hospital, which is, you know, still fully operational and there's still, um, you know, casualties of coronavirus um, hoping to to recover on the wards there. Um, You have to walk up, have your temperature checked, go through a a medical questionnaire. You have to wear a mask when you go into the ground. Face coverings have to be worn at at all times. You're sat two metres apart from your colleagues. There's obviously no fans in there. You can hear everything that is said, which is um, very, very interesting. I found that one of the most interesting things about the game. And, you know, having spoken to to Ben Foster in the build up to um, the game, he was saying that the the team are trying to sort of um, trial out um, things to get them G'd up. And it was very noticeable um, that he was very, very loud and, you know, if there was, you know, Kiko Femenia going forward on the right-hand side or Christian Cabasele had, you know, recovered well to, to intercept the ball, he was very, very vocal in his support. And I just wonder whether they're thinking, look, let's almost be the crowd ourselves at times and, and don't be backwards in coming forwards in, in terms of the encouragement that we're giving each other because no one else is going to be giving us any encouragement. Right, and you don't think that's something that gets like a lost in the in the normal crowd noise, and you just don't hear. Well, yes, I think that I think that there is there is that, but now they only have the option to be supplying it themselves. 
Um, and yeah, we'll, we never know exactly because yeah, it completely gets lost because you have that that murmur of the crowd, or you have you know a very very loud crowd. At, not not that often at Vicarage Road this season, but um, at times. Um, but I think that you know they have to now approach it differently, and they need to be able to stimulate themselves. Um, to remind themselves that they are in a relegation scrap. They can't coast in these final nine games. They are right up against it. So I think they have to sort of, I think there, there was a, there was a, there was another thing that, that Ben Foster had said, and it was related to the crowd noise that was played in a, sort of an intra squad friendly that they played on the Tuesday prior to the, the Saturday game against Brentford. And it was almost as if he was a little bit embarrassed that um, there was crowd noise being played during the game when the ball went out of play. And he basically said that it was really, really annoying. But I think that what the players have to do, if they are going to be encouraging their teammates on the field and doing it even more than normal, they have to sort of leave their their shame at the door a little bit and think, look, we we can only look after ourselves here. So don't try and sort of style it out and be cool and, you know, with your opponents, it's, you know, it's all a bit of a strange atmosphere and we're f- effectively playing a friendly match. Forget that. No one else is going to look after you. So, you know, if you're going to shout louder, do it and it may well pay off and it might be the, the 1% that um, might push Watford over the line. That yeah, maybe line. maybe a bit of an advantage there. That's interesting. Well, I mean, you, you've referenced this already in the, in the sense that Watford cannot coast for these final games. Um, but let's go back to to March before the lockdown. How were Watford doing then? They were doing better than they had done in the in the first section of the season. Obviously, they were into their third head coach um, after Javi Gracia and then Kike Sanchez Flores, two um, head coaches that basically failed unfortunately for them. Um, and Nigel Pearson, you know, that initial um, boost that he gave the club was was essential to getting Watford into this position that they are in now outside of the relegation zone. I think it was what, four wins out of five. Um, they beat Manchester United. They beat Wolves. And then after that, they did sort of revert a little bit to how they'd been doing before. And they lost three out of four. Uh, they lost two in the last minute against Aston Villa and Everton. Um, but then, you know, just prior to, to the lockdown, there was that amazing win against Liverpool, which came out of nowhere. But it really did show that um, anything can happen. And it was, a, it was a fantastic performance. And I think one of the subplots to it is the fact that um, Ishmael Assar, who's been, uh, you know, not a revelation because people knew about him at Rennes before, um, but it's it's shown how vital he is to this Watford side because he he just he not only um, is important for the team when he has the ball, uh, it's when he doesn't have the ball and players around him have it, the opponents are worried about where he's going to go. And I think they are a little bit more um, conservative because they know that he can get in behind. And I think that overall, that really does help Watford, you know, defensively and also going forward. So um, he is back, he is fit and he's going to be a key key player for Watford this season. Yeah. Well, maybe let's come back and talk about Saar and other key players too. Um, beforehand, I mean, obviously the ambition is to avoid relegation. Um Key fixtures in the lead up to that, Adam, and and how likely do you think that this is? How confident are you? I'll put it that way. I'm. 
I'd like to say that I'm a glass half full person, but I'm just I'm I'm not not I'm I'm not sort of like painfully negative, but I still can't quite believe that Watford are in the Premier League anyway. So I haven't quite sort of advanced into the fact that other people think, oh yeah, we're an established Premier League team. I'm always quite impressed that we play against Liverpool and, and Manchester United. So yeah. um in terms of the you know, in terms of the fixtures, it's a tough it's a tough start against Leicester. Um I think they'll be targeting the other four home games. Um, that they have against Southampton, against Norwich, and then against Newcastle. Um, they do have a game against Manchester City, which is well, it could go any could go any way really in terms of how many Manchester City score. But um, I think you know those three home games are going to be um, essential for Watford to to win. They have to they have to win those games because I think it's going to be very very tight. They've only got 27 points on the board. They're going to need to probably get up to 40 points to survive. So they have to be collecting points at home. And then, you know, a, a game that I think is probably earmarked by West Ham fans and also um, for Watford fans certainly the away game at London Stadium to play West Ham. You know, West Ham are also in trouble. So that might be one that uh, could result in either side going down if 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 they haven't been in good form. So I don't know. I th- it's an incredible sort of position to be in, having to fight against relegation in such a sterile atmosphere. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how it all pans out. To be honest, yeah. I mean, you've actually you've got three in a row, which I think you know potentially is a make or break point for for, for Watford's season. You're at home to Norwich, then you're at home to Newcastle. And we were speaking just before we started recording actually about Newcastle's running. Maybe you can revisit that as well, Adam. And then the West Ham game. You feel like if those games go badly, that's it for Watford, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, they have to... I mean, who knows what Norwich are going to do? And I know that Michael Bailey uh, has spoken very positively about Norwich's chances. They've they've got nothing to lose. They may as well, you know, go for it. And they've got some good players. Um, Watford will have to beat Norwich in that game Newcastle's run is very very interesting obviously off the pitch um, you know you've obviously gone into detail on the, on the Saudi um, potential takeover in one of your wonderful videos so pat on the back for that <laughs> thank you um, but you know that is a distraction um, and I think their their running is is very intriguing as well because if memory serves they sort of go from playing a team in the in the top six or that you know the the teams that are going to be fighting for, for European football and then they flip straight into a, a team that is battling against relegation. So they don't really have many games against teams uh, that they would hope to be included in, in the bracket of sort of being middling and, and safe. So I'm not I'm not 100% sure whether they, they won't get sucked in uh, to the relegation scrap, but I mean, that might be... That might be disproved early doors and they'll pick up a couple of wins and they'll be safe. And then if they are, then that will be a bonus for Watford because um, they will need to win that game against Newcastle heading into the game at the London Stadium. So it's, uh, yeah, it's it's very tense, very tense indeed. Can you imagine if uh, Newcastle do get relegated a day after the... the um... <laughs> The uh, acquisition bid finally gets accepted by the Premier League. That would be, or maybe they'll just hand it off. Maybe that's their idea. Wait until Newcastle get relegated and then hand it off to the Football League to decide instead. Yes. Um, What an interesting (laughs) conspiracy theory. Okay, we've talked about Ishmael Assar. Um, Other key players for Watford, who who are going to be your most important players going forwards for the next nine games, Adam? Um, I think obviously you have to look at the the captain, Troy Deeney. Um, He was doing pretty well before lockdown. He'd, He'd come back from that 
injury. Uh, he scored six goals. There was a couple of assists as well. Um, it's it's been interesting to to watch this Watford side this season once again uh, be so reliant on him. And I think that you know one of the key subplots for the team, and it, to be honest, it has been for the last couple of seasons. They need to come up with a plan of Deeney's succession, which they haven't quite grasped yet, because he is such a sort of a talismanic leader and he gets everyone pumped up. He's going to be important. Um, I think another player that is going to potentially be important, especially with so many games coming thick and fast, what, three in the first uh, eight days, um, is Danny Welbeck. He he looked pretty fit um, and lively when he played uh, in that friendly match that I went to see behind closed doors. Uh, he was actually operating on the left-hand side where um, Gerard Delafeu had obviously been playing very well up until he got his injury. So he might be an option on the left. And also he was quite keen to sort of join in as a second striker. And I think that that's, that's really important for Watford, that Troy Deeney actually operates better in a partnership. Um, so if there is the opportunity for Welbeck, who's obviously... Um, more naturally a a striker rather than a, a flank player. I know he's operated a lot for Manchester United and for Arsenal on a flank and for England as well. But, you know, he, he is a striker as well. He likes to get into the box. So if he can join in, that would be very good. Um, I think also another, another player that I'm interested to see, especially now that Watford have, um, you know, that five substitution option is João Pedro, um, who arrived from Brazil and he's actually sort of, he's bulked up a little bit and he came on in the second half against Brentford and looked really good. He's got, you know, great sort of attacking instincts and he's quite confident. Um, so I think there might be a few players on the periphery that, like like for all clubs, will get more of an opportunity. And because there isn't going to be the pressure of playing in front of big crowds who might be very quick to sort of mumble and, and groan. Um, the fact that they're not going to be there, they might just be able to sort of have a bit more confidence and they might try a few things that are the reasons that they're at the football club in the first place. So uh, we'll have to see if maybe João Pedro, maybe Domingos Kina um, as well sort of gets an opportunity. So there are sort of, there's, there are reasons to be cheerful for, for Watford, um, but, <laughs> but there are also a lot of reasons to be fearful as well at the same time. That's football. Um, okay, so uh, of course every remaining game is going to be televised live. For listeners who haven't seen Watford too often this season, what should they be looking out for? Under Pearson, um, defensive discipline, which was hugely lacking uh, in the beginning part of the season under Javi Gracia. Uh, Kike Sanchez-Flores obviously brought in a little bit more solidity, but he sort of chopped off, chopped off the, the attacking arm of the side and uh, you know made the, the defensive legs very, very strong. Um, and Pearson seems to have got that balance uh, a lot better. Um, there are still obviously question marks over the defence, maybe a little bit creaky, um, a little bit slow to turn if you've got attackers, you know, getting in behind. Um, but then other than that, there is a lot of positive elements to that Watford side. You know, Etienne Capu is, is you know, languid in style, but he's he is someone that can actually drive the team forward and he's got a great engine. Um, the same as Abdullah Decore, technically very, very good, very keen to get box to box. Um, you've got experienced players as well, like, you know, Will Hughes and Tom Cleverley, who are also in the mix. And then, you know, Ishmael Assar, who, you know, we mentioned a little bit earlier on, he is so important to Watford in this final run in um, because when he plays, 
he he not only sort of um, pushes pushes the opponents back, but he is also a supply line, and he's excellent at getting the ball in the box, and that's what Watford uh, were lacking with when he wasn't in the side. Um, and he also scores goals, four goals in uh, nine games, three assists in that time as well, two against Liverpool, and when he was out, Watford really really did um, miss him. So, in terms of the the style of play, it can be very very attractive. Um, especially when the likes of Saar are on song and Decore um, as well. So look out for the, the fullbacks as well. Uh, Kiko Femenia has got lightning wheels. Um, Adam Messina down the left-hand side has been a sort of a, a revelation this season, coming in on the left-hand side rather than Jose Holobas. Um, so there are... Um, there are moments when Watford can be very, very attractive, but also because over the course of this season, their, their confidence have taken so many hits. They don't have to... Um, it doesn't take them long, I should say, uh, to, to maybe sort of suffer a, a, a big dent. Um, but, but then, who knows? If, if the fact that there aren't going to be crowds there, they don't feel that weight as much as they had done earlier on in the season, then then maybe they might recover better. But I think just in general, for all teams, the team that goes behind in games, it, it just seems to be more of a struggle to get back on level terms, I think, because you haven't got the crowd sort of pushing you forward. So I don't know, maybe they, they might have to crank up the, the fake crowd noise a little bit more. Maybe that <laughs> might actually, rather than annoying them, it might do, it might do a good job. I don't know. We'll Drown everything out. Yeah. Um, here's time for the impossible question now, Adam. Uh, how do you predict they will fit? Well, where do you predict they will finish? I suppose really we could simplify this and say, are they going to stay up? I genuinely don't know. I really, really don't know. I, I'm not sort of trying to sort of um, put low expectations because I genuinely think um, they are going to stay up and it'll be comfortable. I really genuinely have no idea whatsoever. Those first three games for Watford at home against Leicester, away against Burnley and then at home against Southampton, if they can pick up four points from those first three games then I think they will be in with a shout of staying up. Um, obviously, they've got to go to Chelsea. They finish at Arsenal as well. And they've got Manchester City. And then we talked about those three games to come against Norwich, Newcastle and West Ham. But if they can have some something to sort of grab hold of early doors um, and the teams below them take a few hits as well, um, then... <sighs> I think they I think they're very very capable of staying up but I simply don't know because I'm not sure how other teams around them are going to react to being in in the same situation so I, I'm sorry I'm massively <laughs> on the fence sitting there with with my head in my hands <laughs> No I think it's a dignified place to be <laughs> Let's talk about Kike Sanchez Flores because um, the anatomy of, of his sort of two months back at the club is still a little bit mysterious. I mean, what was the first of all, what was the original aim of, of bringing him back? And secondly, how did it deteriorate throughout that period? And what were the kind of the decisive points within the relationship which led to him leaving again? 
I think um, first and foremost, it was a, it was a surprise that Watford were willing to offer the the olive branch because you'll remember when he left previously, uh, there seemed to be a, a pretty sort of catastrophic breakdown in the relationship, um, and it was interesting that you know Gino Pozzo and, and Scott Duxbury and Filippo Giraldi, um, the technical director, the owner, and the the chairman for people who aren't familiar, um, that they were prepared to try it. They knew that they needed someone um, to bring defensive solidity to the side. That was something that he he did very well in in his first spell, the first season that Watford were in the Premier League. Um, so they thought, OK, let's, let's go to him. But it, it seemed as if they had a little bit of blindness to the fact that their relationship had, had, had broken down. Um, but in the same regard... There is also the argument that, you know, getting getting things out in the open, if you're going to sort of get back together with someone, if you, if you sort of lay everything on the table, then there is nothing to hide from. So um, it seemed as if at the very start of it, the relationship had been had been built. But the problem was that he didn't have as much credit in the bank um, due to the fact that his first season had finished and fizzled out a little bit. And obviously there had been those... Um, <sighs> those moments when the hierarchy and he hadn't seen eye to eye. So I think the fact that he didn't start off with with a win um, early on, which he could have done against Arsenal, it was, it was so, so close. If Abdullah Decore had scored a winner, having come back from 2-0 um, down, that could have changed the dynamic. Um, there were also games when Watford should have won at home, which could have changed it far earlier. I remember a game against Sheffield United, they drew 0-0. Andre Gray had a great opportunity. Uh, Danny Welbeck had a great opportunity one-on-one. Craig Dawson also last minute. It was it was it was over the bar, tipped over the bar. You know, he didn't get he didn't get much luck. And he did actually bring um what he was supposed to bring. Um he also had a subplot of players being out injured. Obviously, he didn't have Deeney. Um he didn't have Saar for quite a long time. So a lot of things contributed to making Watford less potent going forward, which was out of his control. However, there was just so much focus on the fact that, yes, they're, be- they're better defensively, aside from the 8-0 defeat against <laughs> Manchester City, say. of course. <laughs> but, and that, but that that was an interesting one, the Man City game, because I thought that was a, that was a really big error from, from Kike. Um, because, you know, having started well against Arsenal, it was almost as if he he naively treated Manchester City away as an opportunity to try out uh, the rest of his defensive options. So he made a huge amount of changes. Um, he brought Adrian Mariapa into the into the back four. No criticism of him, but there was no, there was no reason to change things. Um, he played Dimitri Folkier out on the on the right hand side in a sort of a revamped um, defensive line. It was just a it was just a, a bad, bad call. And that really took, well, I don't know, three, four, five games to get over. And then eventually, just prior to an international break, I think it was, they they beat Norwich, um, which sort of kept him clawing on. But I think he just became frustrated. I don't think he really realized the the struggle that he was getting himself into. And I think that was ultimately what what broke it down. And it was a shame because I think you know he's a, he's a good guy. I went out to to speak to him for the Athletic out in in Madrid, and um, you know his his heart was in it. He wanted everything to 
to go well. But I think it's sort of, you know, you go back to the old saying of never go back. And I think in this circumstance, it, it, it had genuine red flags even before he'd signed to say, yeah, this is this is one that fits into that category. Don't do it. Um, but they went ahead with it, and then I suppose they had to they had to make that brave call and say, look, this really isn't working. Let's let's jettison in, jettison him. And um, even if he's not here and we haven't got someone lined up, it's better uh, to not have him here and uh, try something different than than keeping him on because. Uh, Troy Deeney actually spoke about it and said, look, it, it just smacked of nostalgia and it was a waste of 10 games. And that's basically, that's what's left them in, in the, um, the hole that they're in at the moment. Was that kind of a majority position within the dressing room? Was there any kind of, I, I know that sort of he, he didn't return to manage a lot of the players that he left, but was that a, was there pushback from, from, from the rest of the team? I think there were there were there were uh, Kike loyalists, um, and unsurprisingly, they, they were you know the, the Spanish players, um, not Jose not, Holabas. Not, not <laughs> <Holobas. laughs> but then even you know that it was it was funny with with Holabas, um, and I think that he he does get a bad um, a bad sort of rep sometimes. I mean, he doesn't help himself because he's you know he's surly and throws his hands up in the air and and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, his problem is that he's just he's just not the player that he was. He can't move around as quickly and he's he's a lot older than he was originally. So uh, even if he does want to fight, um, he can't actually get into the position to do that because he's not he's not quick enough, which is a shame for him. Um, but, you know, even he, he got back into a, a decent relationship with with Kike. He showed that he was committed to the cause and it, there was proof there, you know, that players, if you do have a fallout, you know, for people that don't know, he did have a big fallout before um, with with Kike, and it was almost sort of doomed to fail once again. But he, you know, he 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 did a decent job. Um, but then, you know, the likes of Gerard Delafay, who was played a lot more during um, Kike's time centrally as a central striker because of Troy Deeney missing, he was obviously um, very sad to see him go. Uh, Kike Femenia who didn't actually play very well when Kike was there and has played a lot better since under Nigel Pearson. Uh, he was disappointed as well. But I think I think they probably just thought, and there were a fair few players that um, did remain from, from Kike's first spell in charge, they probably thought, yeah, this is just not working. This isn't working. We need something different. And, and I suppose, you know, not in a sort of a xenophobic way, but a, a lot of that was driven from the from the English players. And they were simply saying, look, we are genuinely in a relegation scrap. We've never been in this position before under the under the Potsos. We need to get someone English in who's going to give us some sort of basic grit and uh, fight and do the ugly things and not worry about um, looking good. We just need to get out of it, led by sort of, you know, Ben Foster and and Troy Deeney and Will Hughes and Tom Cleverley. Although they are um, players that are capable of playing under a foreign coach and to different styles, I think it was very clear that this was it. We have to make a change now, otherwise we're not going to have any chance and we'll go down, we will go down with potentially not winning another game. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it broke down overall. I don't think there was massive hard feelings. There wasn't sort of punch-ups and things like that. It wasn't that sort of feeling. But um, I think they just sort of thought, look, we, we have to change something now. And uh, the, the Pearson marriage was uh, was instigated. I'm going to um, 
delve into the loan network, if you don't mind. I am um, one of the players that fascinates me in in Watford system is Kucha Hernandez, uh, Colombian forward. He's he's currently on loan at Ma- uh, Mallorca. Uh, a few years ago, um, those who knew best could have described him as a kind of a, a reinvention of Sergio Aguero, um, and there seemed to be a kind of a like a, a clear roadmap for his Watford future in terms of integrating him back into English football or into English football for the first um, for the first time. What's his status at the club? Is he? It seems to me, just from a glance, that there's a kind of a little bit of a work permit issue, possibly. But what's the um, what's the plan with him? And, and is his stock just as high as it ever was? I think there are now firm plans for him to come into the squad uh, for pre-season, whenever that's going to be this year. Yeah. Um, and you know, over the last twelve months, the the sort of the plan has been put in place to start to integrate him into um, getting his mind into the fact that he is going to become a, a Watford player. Um, that has been slightly complicated on on two fronts. Firstly, because he was injured. Um, for the first sort of section of, of this season. I think he's only and started about 15 games or something in the whole of the yeah, season, something like that. Exactly, exactly. So um, that was, um, I mean, it, that was sort of combined because it, he first was um, seen at, at Watford's training ground doing some fitness work and things like that. But I think they also used that as an opportunity to to help with his um, integration. So he, he came to a couple of Watford games so he could see the ground. Obviously, he was spending time at the training ground as well. Um, and, you know, the next complication is that it will depend on the status that Watford hold by the end of this season. Um, so if he... if I don't necessarily think it's critical that Watford stay up for him to become... Um, part of the Watford squad because I think he could probably um, have a really good season in the championship. Um, it just depends how vocal his agent wants to be. Um, but he's been part of the the Pozzo family for what four years now. Um, you know, coming in at, at Granada and then going out on loan, and then um, he was sort of handed back to. Watford from Granada when the ownership changed. He had that season at, at Huesca in in the lower league uh, uh, in Spain, scored 16 goals. And then he had those goals that he scored, which were very, very notable against Barcelona and against Real Madrid when Huesca got into um, La Liga. I mean, they, it was weird that he scored after three minutes against both Barcelona yeah. and Real Madrid <laughs> away from home. They lost the game against Barcelona 8-2. Uh, and they lost against Real Madrid. But obviously they were sort of breakthrough moments for him. And, you know, you mentioned about the fact that he's like Sergio Aguero. He's got that same sort of stature. Um, it's the low centre of gravity, it, isn't it, that does it? It's yeah. That, you can see why someone made that comparison. Yeah. And I think that it's really interesting in terms of that's the sort of player that, that Watford need if they're going to play a central striker. They need someone who's going to be sort of... Uh, I hate to, to coin the sort of the Franny Jeffers fox oh, in no. the box sort of, but I have, I've just done it because he would, he, cause he just never was, but that's what yeah. was asked for. But, you know, they need someone that is going to make that run to the near post. If the balls are going to be coming in, fizzing in from Delafeu from the left and Saar on the right, they need someone who is going to gamble. Um, and also, if you are playing by yourself, to create that little bit of space yourself quickly. And he can do that. And, um, it will be interesting to see, you know, if, if all goes to plan and Watford stay up, 
Then the plan is for him, um, for Pevez Estupinian, who's been on loan at, at Osasuna, for Luis Suarez as well, who is another option in terms of you know a central striker who's been playing at um, Zaragoza in the in the second division in, in Spain. He's also an option. So you know they 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 do have squad strengthening to do, and they don't have to spend any money to do it. So a lot is riding you know, not only on the finances, but on, on the players that they can bring in if they can stay in the Premier League. I was looking at, um, I was looking down this list of, of players currently at the club and it dismayed me to find out that uh, Adalberto Peñaranda is actually 23 now. Yeah. Um, so another another player that really, not made his reputation, but but sort of piqued interest at Granada when he first entered the Pozo family. And yet he's hardly really been seen um, in England. What's, is is his career heading in the, in the right trajectory? It seems to me like he's kind of um, the, the the point at which he would break through has kind of been and gone. Is that fair? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think so. Um, it, he's drifted, but bizarrely, and I suppose sort of. Football I want can... him to succeed, Adam. I just, I just, yeah. I, he's he's one of those kind of guilty pleasures, isn't he, as a player? <laughs> yeah, he is, and he, and he seems to be a, a character that if if under the right manager, um, and it clicks. He could be. He could be someone that would um, be some someone that the fans would really get behind as well. I think that sort of Watford fans, having known about him since January 2016, and I remember I was working, you know, at Sky Sports News at the time, freezing my nuts off, um, <laughs> and they announced this Venezuelan wonder kid had joined the club. And trying to, one, pronounce his his name over and over again with a frozen mouth was difficult enough. But then actually trying to find out much information about him was was also a challenge. And then he sort of disappeared for, for ages in terms of, you know, loans at Granada, Udinese, Malaga. And then he pitched up last season and it just didn't seem to quite work. He played against uh, Woking and played against Newcastle in the FA Cup. And then this season... Um, he was also given a chance early on in the in the campaign. Scored against Coventry. Lovely goal uh, too. A brilliant goal. Yeah, really, really good goal. Um, and then a couple of days later, he went out to uh, Belgium on loan to Upen uh, or Upen. I'm not quite sure how they pronounce it. That's an interesting story, by the way. That that club, Qatar owned, mix of nationalities. Yes, I, I don't. Yeah. I'm not quite not quite sure what's going on there. Um, but yeah, and and then he um, cancelled his loan seemed as if he wasn't his heart wasn't in it came back to the club early and that coincided with Nigel Pearson being there and Pearson with a very sort of open book uh, blank page approach thought well who is this dude and and you know he he seemed to be quite a a lively character Pearson open-mindedly went yeah, all right, well, come on then, get yourself fit, show me what you can do. And that's maybe what Watford need. And he was, um, you know, he was amongst the squad for that game that I went to, the, the, the Brentford game. Um, he was he was going to come on and then, he, and then he didn't come on. But if they can get him fit and, you know, like João Pedro, you know, one of the extra options that Watford have, if they can throw him on, he is the perfect sort of um, not, not not being cruel, but like you know, like Joker in the pack sort of player that people will not have prepared for, and you know he's worth a go. And this might be these nine games might be the moment that he actually guarantees himself some solidity. But it's I suppose it's more likely that the the drift will continue rather than the other way around. But but he does have a chance, and and if he can take it, then. 
you know, you and I and a lot of Watford fans who, who like him and have a, a you know a weird sort of uh, attachment to a player that they've never really seen play, um, but you know was was full of potential. Um, then it might just work out. Who knows? I think I just like saying his name. He sounds like one of those players from footballing antiquity. You know, one of yeah. sort of a legend from nineteen twenties yeah. Uruguay or something like that. Um, the last time I saw you, um, it just the, you mentioning Pearson just reminded me of this. It was that um, it was that game against Everton, the three two. Uh-huh. And um, for people that don't don't aren't sort of really um, aware of Nigel Pearson's press conference um, etiquette or personality, this kind of illustrates it. He um, he came in Everton obviously won the game 3-2, having been down to 10 men with a, a counter-attack in the last minute. And um, someone right at the front of the auditorium said, uh, you know, that was, that was a bit naive of your players, Nigel. And he was like, naive how? And, you know, that sort of weird, like, sixth gear that he has in his personality where he kind of, it's almost like he's going to jump over the desk and wrestle you. Like, he's he's the only manager, I think, that actually scares me in press conferences. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think, you know, you because we've seen him go a little bit further, I think, I yeah. think maybe in his, you know, in his defence, he has been... The thing that sort of um, has been very noticeable for me, yes, you're right, he doesn't like words being put in his mouth at all. He's very sort of conscious of that. But also, he does like to really explain his points um, in very, very uh, detailed ways. So I think that's been quite interesting. And I wonder whether, I think he's probably far more direct and clear and precise in his instructions to his players than he is to to the media. Because sometimes he can say, well, I'm not going to talk about that, but, and then goes on to talk about it (laughs) for quite some time. So... um, I think, look, overall, f- from the point of view of, of covering Watford, it, I think it's made a big difference that, yes, he can be quite aggressive um, in terms of the appearance. But I think he is he's very conscious of making sure that he doesn't he doesn't talk rubbish. And he's still quite I think he's quite honest. Don't you, you know, he's quite honest I, in, in what he says. I think I, I enjoy it, but it has that element of danger. Like it's sort of it's, it's like talking to someone who. Um, who has a completely calm expression, but absolutely is absolutely seething behind the eyes all the time. It's 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 a very strange dynamic. Um, but that's what you want, it, isn't it? That, I that's think what, so. You know, it, you know, it's like a you know, it's not your average press conference with a few platitudes. You think something something might happen. You know, something, yeah. something yeah. Might, might go on here. Yeah. <laughs> but that keeps the players on their toes, doesn't it? It's the perfect combo. So. You know, you <laughs> he know, might you, snap you, at any minute. <laughs> well, I if I if I was playing for him, I, I think that would work. It would be sort of you know, am I going to run that extra yard? Yes, because I'm afraid of what might happen right. if I don't. Do I really want to find out what's going to happen? Do I, I'm, I'm not sure I want to pull at that thread. You know, I. I um, Anyway, Adam, let me um, let me just finish with a little bit of a commercial bit. Um, Watford are leaving Adidas at the end of the season um, and joining the manufacturer Kelme. Um, what's the thinking there? Is that just a financial um, decision, or is that is it part of some kind of broader commercial strategy? Yeah, I think so. It's 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 broader than that. I mean, we we know that Watford are very reliant on um, central payments, as many of the teams that aren't in the top six are. Um, and they need to improve their commercial revenue. Um, the deal is supposed to be worth, if it all goes to plan, and that is, you know, post-pandemic dependent, uh, worth in the region of around £10 million, which is which is a bump in terms of a commercial partnership for the club. Um, they had an option of an extra year with Adidas, but they wanted to have a bit more control. I think they felt that 
Um, because they aren't one of the big guns that Adidas are linked with, like Manchester United, they were given more sort of template options um, rather than being able to be bespoke, which Kelme seemingly are, are very keen to to offer. Um, and I think they felt, you know, things like seeing your kit that you have being exactly the same kit as someone else. Like um, it was a Polish side, Vauxler Poltava, who played against Arsenal and they pitched up in exactly the same kit that Watford had as their third kit. <laughs> no. And I think it's like things like that that fans go, oh, right. Oh, there's, there's a lot of that around you know. at the moment, though. You see, yeah. if you look at Leicester's third kit, the pink one, um, that's uh, that you can just buy that as a as a sort of a like a, a training top if you if you look at yeah. the right places. That's <laughs> terrible. I've never heard of that before. Yeah, yeah. It, so it's, it's I only, think that that ha- it has an impact, doesn't it? Certainly I does. Think, I, I, I on, think sorry. you know what I mean. It's not even about Watford. I, I just wanted to have a rant at the state of training kits and, and kits in general. There's a <laughs> lot of templating. I know this isn't the right forum for it, but I've got a microphone and it's my opportunity. Damn it! There is an awful lot of templating going on, and um, yeah. no good. Just 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 have enough respect for your football club where you know you get someone to I don't know just put on a put a chevron on or something just 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 spend an extra half an hour on originality right I'm done that's what but that's seemingly what Kelme are doing and um, I think they're very very keen to work with them and commercially they have sort of been given a uh, not a guarantee because nothing's guaranteed at the moment but that they will be pushed into you know Asia into the Asian market in particular in China, they'll get um, hangar space, which they didn't get before. And they, I suppose it's just a, it's a, it's a calculated gamble um, to, to go with Kelmay. And, you know, they've got a, a decent history to them. There's a sort of, a, there'll be a sort of a retro audience that remember them, you know, being the kit supplier for Real Madrid and things like that, that uh, might take an interest. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, if they turn up with an absolutely rotten first kit, then, um, <laughs> you know, then then the, the, the deal will be uh, under a lot more scrutiny. But hopefully it'll be a, a fun kit that is a, a Premier League kit. And that's a, that's a big element. As long as it's not. I mean, nothing's going to be worse than that Arsenal kit that looks like someone's been wearing it when they've been running through brambles. Um you know oh, that yeah, story? Yes, yes, yeah, the, the, yes. The, you look it up if you if you're listening and you haven't seen it. It reminds me of um, the Pearson story where he was um, he was confronted by a pack of wild dogs, and he just he dived into a pack of uh, you know in, into a, into a, into a sort of thorny bush, and that's that's what he would look like after doing that. That's what Arsenal are wearing next season. That's uh, yeah. So if you you don't need to look it up anymore, that's that's um, that should leave an imprint on your mind. Well, thanks a million to Adam for joining us today. Listeners, if you're not already subscribed to The Athletic, make sure you go to theathletic.com forward slash TIFO to enjoy all of Adam's writing on Watford plus much, much more. And you can currently get 40% off an annual subscription, which works out to be about £3 a month or 10p a day if you're in the UK. And make sure you listen to From the Rookery End, The Athletic's dedicated Watford podcast. Adam and the team will bring you the very best coverage when Watford are finally back in action. And finally, scroll back through this podcast feed and the Athletic app to hear all 20 of our Premier League countdown podcasts, each one dedicated to a different team. To all of you today, thank you for listening and enjoy with us the return of the Premier League.